Hello and welcome to Dateline New Haven. I'm your host, Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make our community tick. Oh boy, Eileen Tracy has made New Haven tick for a long time. 39 years as a teacher, administrator, superintendent of schools during the most challenging period of our lifetimes, the COVID pandemic. And now she's moving on. She says she's not retiring, she's transitioning, but she's going to finish her career as a New Haven educator. And she's here on uh, Dateline New Haven to kind of take a look back and offer some advice to people moving forward. Dr. Tracy, thank you for coming on and congratulations on finishing your term. Thank you for having me. Okay, I think I'm going to ask you to get really close to that mic so we can hear you more closely, like almost to you, almost touching it. Um, Dr. Tracy, when's your last day? Is it June 30th? My last day is June 30th, yes. So you're kind of just mopping up now or any last admissions? You're re- are you racing to the finish line or are you just kind of finishing up business? Finishing up business, um, cleaning up my office and completing my staff evaluations. And mm-hmm. How's and it I- feel? I think it's, 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 it's bitter. It's bittersweet. It's mixed feelings because I've been out working so long from age 16 and 39 years in New Haven. So that's many years of being an educator. In our schools. So in our schools, 39 years from teacher all the way up to the top. So it, it may feel a little strange when I have a routine of getting up at certain times, looking forward to school reopening, school closing and all those things. So it may feel a little strange, I guess, at first. And now, what's yeah. different as you leave? How is, how is public school different in 2023 from how it was for, uh, 39 years ago in 84? So there has been a lot of differences in terms of we have seen more challenging um, behaviors among students. We are hearing of more mental health issues that need to be addressed. So we find that teachers and administrators are drawn in very directions to fulfill the needs of students. So for me, that has been one of the greatest challenges since COVID. We've had challenges pre-COVID, but it has, what should I say, we have much more challenge, much So it really challenges. is different. It's different it's, from it's in different. the 60s when there were riots it, or... And I wasn't here in the 60s, so I don't know what happened in the but 60s. What I mean is that something different is something happening different, for young people. Exactly, exactly. And has impacted their, their learning, has impacted their social-emotional well-being. So do you think it's COVID? Do you think it's social media? Do you think it's a breakdown of institutions in our society? What is the trigger for this? Because the pandemic is not in force like it was before. I think I would say the pandemic has had something to do with it, but you cannot all blame it on the pandemic. I think social media with the hyping of things have added to that. And students are more exposed to social media than in the past. So seeing and hearing things, those it's things It's hard to impact. grow up right now. Yes. I think it's hard to be a kid right now. Yes. And school is in some ways your safe place to go. Well, the grass in the world, but it's also a hothouse where a lot of other people your own age have the same pressures. Mm-hmm. I would think so. So, Dr. Tracy, you, you mentioned 16 years old, and I saw that in your official biography. You uh, grew up in a rustic village, Sweetland, Manchester, Jamaica, and in the West Indies, and you were one of 17 children. Yes. And you were 16 years old when you were teaching kindergarten through ninth graders. Tell me about that. How does someone become a teacher at 16 years old of people who are almost the same age? What was that about? So in those days, remember, we followed the British system of education, because um, we're a commonwealth of, of England. And so they are a system that they, they re- rely a lot on um, 
education and testing, and if you pass certain tests, you're qualified to do certain things. So we were exposed to a lot of, um, I would say, training, a lot of um, different programs that were given to us at young ages. And once you can, one thing with this system, it doesn't hold you back. Once you show that you can do things, you're pushed forward. For example, when I went to school, I skipped a number of grades because you were proven through testing and other things that you can do the work. And so was that happening at home? I mean, one of 17 kids, I can't imagine mom <laughs> and dad had a lot of time to read books with you. Well, put it this way. It was not 17 at the same place. My, <laughs> my dad was a prolific person when it comes to But were you also children. like watching your older siblings read? Like my, my yeah. wife learned from watching her older sister read. I learned from my older sister to read because they played school with us. Mm. And so I went to school reading. And um, we also helped out the, the younger ones. And so we all went to school knowing how to read. It's very interesting to me. So you're yes. describing a, a testing system. We're going to get back to that because mm -hmm. I think maybe you and I might share a skepticism about over-reliance on testing, but we might mm -hmm. not. But you certainly grew up with that. You got yes. the test, you got pushed ahead. 16 years old, you're mm -hmm. the teacher for other kids. Mm -hmm. Was that just about academic ability, or is there something about the young Eileen Tracy that liked to teach people? Did, was this your calling? I wanted to be a teacher from age seven. Why is that? After watching my first grade teacher, Mrs. Ruddock, the way she was teaching, and I was fascinated with what she was doing. What was her name? Mrs. Ruddock. R I remember R-U-D-D-O-C-K. Uh -huh. I will never forget that teacher. And I wanted to be just like her. And, and why did you want to be like her? What was she doing? That, because that the, her, her attitude towards us, loving, kind, patient, and making sure that we learn. And um, I wanted to emulate that style. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to be a teacher. And you, you mentioned something in your biography of seeing education as an equalizer. I assume that came later than seven years old. Later. later. There's a, there's, teaching is work. It is. So being loving kind is one of the traits, but making sure people learn is actually a skill. What did you notice about Miss Ruddock? That, did you learn something from her that you took through your whole life besides the inspiration of seeing somebody who taught? So she was, for me, from that age, I thought her, she was knowledgeable. She was patient with the students because in those era, we would call students who can't learn dunce and they would have to put on the dunce cap. Oh, you really had dunce caps? Yeah, had to put on the dunce cap. Oh, my goodness. And I struggled as to why they couldn't learn, but this teacher in particular was very patient in, in getting us to learn our ABCs and to learn our sounds and to read our little books. And Did when people you, wear the dunce caps in, in her class? Students, but not but she, me. But she'd use them. She'd <laughs> she use would them. use them. <laughs> that was, must have felt bad. Yeah. I, I don't think students feel bad like how the students today would feel. They, they expect it. And so okay. it was not something that was stigmatized as it probably would now be. Okay. And so I learned a lot from her. And when you can do things, they push you forward. Mm -hmm. Because if you master the curriculum at first grade, and they show through testing that you can master the first grade. They skip you from first to second and on the way up, skipping until you get to where you plateau and you can't skip any further. What do you think about that? Because some people say, I know my wife and she has a friend who skipped grades. They felt that they weren't ready socially for that. I'm a firm believer that we should not hold students back. Mm. I'm a firm believer that if students show, because they're going to become problematic, they're going to become bored if their yeah. needs are not met. 
And with teachers having so many students to attend to in the classroom, it's best if they move forward and get that level of attention that they need. And that's why in New Haven, we have what is called the TAG program, but still we still hold them back, even though we provide, so we say, for them in a different way. But for me, I even believe that students who go to high school, if they show that they can handle college work, let them do it and move them on out. We are holding them back too much. And it mm. could be an economic thing while we are holding students back. But I firmly believe that if they can handle it, they should move forward. And that's so interesting because what we hear about instead is social promotion, that kids get advanced when they can't master the work. Is that happening too? So we do have, we do have some of that happening. We do have some of that happening, but not on a, a large scale. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I do believe that the ones who show mastery, show that they can handle, should be moved on and yeah. not being bored. We're talking to Dr. Eileen Tracy, who at seven years old wanted to be a teacher, was already teaching at 16 because she was ready, and is now finishing a celebrated career in New Haven of 39 years at every level in the classroom. So you came to Michigan first, from, uh, and that was through marriage? Uh, my husband and I, we, my husband got into Andrews University in Bering Spring, Michigan to do his Master's in Divinity. And so we came here to the United States just for further education but with the intention of going back home. And then you, you ended up in New Haven <laughs> at New Southern Haven. Connecticut State University to teach early childhood education, right? So it's a different degree, another degree in early childhood. The one in Jamaica was primary education. And then here, when I came here, they said that I have to fulfill their responsibility or their requirements. So I took one year, two semesters, and complete their requirements. And were you in New Haven for that, or was your husband in New Haven? We, for... all, we all came here. My husband's um, family live up on um, City Point. Oh, okay. So we came, they, we came and they filed for our and residence. If, and then status. if I have it correct, you started out with daycare, not classroom, correct? I started out with New Haven daycare program. And then you, um, And w- then move on into the public school. Was it Dwight School? Um, Dwight Daycare. Okay. That was held at the Emanuel Baptist Church. And then where did you start teaching? Started teaching at Dwight School. Which is now Amistad. Yes. How do you feel about that, that so, some of these buildings have become charter schools? What's your whole take on that? I have no idea where you stand on that. Um, I, I'm, I'm for, for choice. Um, mm-hmm. So if a charter school comes in and believe they can do something better, power to them. But charter schools were developed to do experimental, to do experiments around education and not to compete with the public schools. My problem comes when there's a competition with the public schools. Is when there they, now for resources? Yeah, when the narrative is that they're doing better and they degrade public school, I have a ch- problem with that, even though my children teach in charter school. Oh, they do? Yes. And how are they doing? They're doing well. So they can teach you like mom? <laughs> I guess, yes. All right. Yeah. So Joy School, what was that like? What grade did you teach when you started out? I, I taught first through fourth grade, all the grade levels first through fourth. And how many years were you at Joy School? Thirteen. Thirteen years. And what did you learn as a teacher? Like, what did you not know when you started? What did What did that first stint of thirteen years? Is there a day that sticks out in your memory, or a moment where you said, "Oh, okay, this is something I'm really going to run with," or "This is why so, I do it." I, I, the challenge for me coming from a country where discipline in the country parts was not so much a challenge for teachers. Because um, teachers were, were revered, mm-hmm. but coming to teach here in New Haven, the challenge for me was around the the behavior that I saw from students that would not be tolerated under any circumstances. Like what kind of stuff? 
um, talking back to the teacher, you know, walking out of class, et cetera, et cetera. Those things would not have been tolerated. So those were challenges to me until I found my niche. And how did you do it? Tell me about it. I really had to build relationship with families, build relationship with students. And then I became the teacher who they would not, you know, treat that way. I, I had a loving relationship with my students and families. Now tell me how yes. you do that when they walk out or talk back to you. Do you are you the strict disciplinarian? Are you a combination of firmness and hugging? Do you set up a time to meet with them privately and with their parents to follow up? I mean, how did you, how did you make that happen? All of those. <laughs> um, strict, firm, but yet loving. And um, I think one of the greatest things for me was the relationship I built with parents. To the extent that even at my recent retirement, some of my students were there and could recount some of the things I did with them and how it made them feel and that I'm still their best teacher. Mm-hmm. So that, that made me feel that I were had some of those right Were some of those Dwight students yes, there? Yes. How many? I saw there were two Dwight students who were there. From And this was how long ago was this retirement oh, party? Just Thursday last week. Oh, yes, Thursday. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So can you, do you remember a day at all in Dwight when it clicked? Do you remember a particular, not name, but like a particular student who did a certain action and how you decided to deal with it that set the pattern for how you would get that firm but loving? So I can recall I had a student who in third grade was my most challenging student that I determined I would never name a child that name because it was challenging. What name? Um, (laughs) If I said you're going to know because he's in New Haven, so I would reveal it. Oh, I don't mean name the student. Uh, I meant... meant, He um, calls me Jamaican Coconut Head. Oh, my goodness. He... um, ridicules my accent because my accent then was very thick and he made fun and of it made fun of it in front of the class and you know and so how did you deal with that pulling him aside after school talking with the parents parents gave me certain autonomy to work with him and i must say though that student today is one of the assistant fire chiefs in new haven and he recalled he was telling my teammates how he loved me and that I was one of those individuals who really made an impact on his life. So, And he's had a successful life. Yes. And he was at your retirement? No, he, he, I didn't tell him I was retired. But you still see him. him? But I still see him. Yeah. That's kind of special. Yes, it was. We're talking to Dr. Lane Tracy about her career as an educator in New Haven, which is now coming to a close after 39 years in the system. Yes. At the top position at the end of superintendent of schools. So you went, did you go to Jackie Robinson from there? So I was called to work at Jackie Robinson as a reading teacher when Willie Freeman became the principal of Jackie Robinson. Mm -hmm. So I went over to teach five through eight grade reading. And after that, I became the house leader because then they had the house concept of red house, yellow house, and blue house with the different grade levels spread out among the houses. And then I became a staff developer, then an assistant assistant principal, and then a principal. I was moved from there back to Dwight to become principal in 2004. You went to Dwight principal? I became a principal of Dwight School. And then when did you go back to Jackie Robinson? After 10 months, the superintendent asked me to go and merge Jackie Robinson and Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I did. And what year was that? 2005. 2005. So I'm remembering the word baccalaureate sticks in my head. You had yes. some concept for the school that actually got a lot of attention. You did something new with that school when it merged. What was the baccalaureate concept? So the international baccalaureate concept is based on inquiry, 
was our discovery and inquiry, and we had to do units of inquiry at every grade level. It required a lot of training and a lot of um, helping students to take action around, as they study a topic, they take action, mm. whether it's community or in the school or wh- whatever. So it was a lot of um, novelty. Would an example be environment? Would an example be health? Would an example be um, helping people get along? It was social justice, health environment, whatever the students choose to explore. And was it a middle school? It was a K-8 school. K-8, so even kindergartners are doing things like that? Kindergartners. So we have, um, we have two programs, middle years and the elementary years. So we were certified or, um, to do both programs around the same time, which was unusual. But both programs, middle year and primary years program, for the International Baccalaureate And people were, were clamoring to get into that school, yes. correct? Even from the suburbs. Yes. Yes. Was it a magnet school? It became an inter-district magnet school with that theme. And, and why were people clamoring from the suburbs? The, the, um, the not-so-nice stereotype we get is that someone moves to the suburbs because they don't like urban living, right? They don't like mm-hmm. people are different from each other. They don't like what's happening in cities. You had people from what towns wanting to come to school in New Hallville? So we were servicing about 18 different districts. Um, at our school, and the, atten- the numbers went up to about 600. And so we had people coming in from all walks of life wanting to be a part because we sold the program very well, and we had students who were involved in selling the program, things that even adults did not understand. Many of our 8th grade and 7th grade students understood the concept, and they became our mouthpieces. And what, how, what, t- what are some of the towns they came from? We have from Waterbury, from the Valley, which is Naugatuck. Um, That's a schlep. People got to drive. Yes. Well, we had buses. We had transportation. That's still a long time. Students from Wallingford. So what did you, what did you from making that transition, I guess you made it gradually to, to administrator, to principal. What's something you learned moving from the classroom to supervising, leading a, a, a whole school and building it up? What, what's something you could tell me that, that was similar to the way you learned in the classroom about both being firm and embracing? So what I have learned through all that journey was that you have to know what you're doing. You have to believe in what you're doing. You have to exercise a level of compassion and passion and show that you have interest in people. Because if Mm -hmm. you don't do those things, you're not going to go anywhere. So from the classroom level, you have to show leadership. And when I was a classroom teacher, I showed leadership. I worked with the accreditation. I was a lead on the accreditation for the school, which we passed. I was also the lead SPMT, school planning management person. So you have to actually get out of the classroom and do things outside of the classroom to show that you have that level of leadership abilities um, in you. And so those things helped to propel me forward, which I brought into my assistant principalship and into my principalship. Do you remember, I'm going to ask you about a day again. Do you remember a day as principal and something clicked like that day with the kid who was being so rude to you and then became your pal, but you know, not pal, but someone you had a real impact (laughs) on. Do you remember a day in principal you said, okay, this is what I need to be doing as a principal. Here was a challenge that I wrestled and this kind of sets the tone for how I'm going to work. So I, when I went to um, school, I learned about a certain practitioner and researcher um, who talked about change and the change theory. Change or change? Change. Mm -hmm. Change theory. And I wanted to do the things, to to try out actually some of the things that he said would work. And so one of them was when I took over King Robinson School, 
we had kind of a symbolic gesture of burying the past because I did not want to talk about the former principal and what was happening. I wasn't interested in that. I'm you talking about... You mean in terms of problems that were yes, there? Yes, in problems. I always thought the biggest problem yeah. was breathing. Wasn't, <laughs> wasn't the air really bad because of how it was designed? The teachers should tell me they had... I'm talking way back before your principal. I mean, yeah. they had the headaches because the air didn't circulate. I wasn't familiar with that. Okay, they rebuilt it, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so, this so you wanted to bury the past. past to move on. Bury the past. So we have a symbolic gesture like having actually a little thing built up like a coffin and everyone's going to write and put their problems into that coffin and we're going to bury that coffin. And when did you and do that? The whole class did that? No, this teachers? was with staff. Uh-huh. And staff. And so we're going to move forward with our vision and mission for the school was. And I had mm. people buy into the vision and mission and we rile up the students to let them know we can do it. We're going to knock their socks off. They call <laughs> us, they call us failure. You're not failures. We're going to show them that we're not failures. And I must say that for three consecutive years when we had the CMT, we had double-digit gains in CMT, and we got off the state's failing list. And so those were moments in my experience. I said, yes, we can do it. I know it can be done. <laughs> it so when you came in, you were on the state's failings list? Yes. And then you got off in three years mm -hmm. and stayed off and became, and became a school that and people were And became a school that yeah, was well sought after. So then you went you. to the central office. Did, did you have any... I always wonder if teachers who are very good at being teachers and then principals are very good at being principals. I always wonder if they have second thoughts about being kicked upstairs to Meadow Street, to the administration for the mm -hmm. whole district. You can make a bigger impact taking what you've learned, being in charge of a whole district with 20,000 kids. But it's like journalism. You know, you write stories, you think you're good at it. Some of those people become good editors, but then you kind of feel like you're no longer doing hands-on what you did. And then when they kick you upstairs more and the people in those companies that are making those decisions, yeah, they have a knowledge base, but some of them feel like they kind of lost that contact of what they love to do. Did you feel removed? Did you have worries about that hesitation? Well, when I became director of instruction and I moved to the central office, um, I realized that I have to really impact the lives of principals because that was my charge to evaluate, support and evaluate principals. And I did that and did that and show that, I think even with adults, like with students, you still have to build relationships. You have to show them that you care and that the work they do is important. And we're doing it not mm -hmm. for ourselves, but for students. And I did that, and I did that successfully. And then I became an assistant superintendent and, again, was in charge of adults at different levels. And I did that, I would say, I would say with, with much pride, knowing that I'm impacting adults to impact teachers who then impact children. And I was not far removed from the classroom because I'm there every single day. And when I became superintendent, every morning I'm out in schools because I have to stay with that connection to students and staff. So you became the superintendent at a time we had, mm -hmm. we had all these controversies about the two previous superintendents. And it's mm -hmm. really not unique to New Haven. Mm -hmm. Police chiefs, superintendents of schools, all these jobs are high pressure. They pay well, mm -hmm. and they're very high pressure. and People don't last in them very long. Mm -hmm. And all the rest of the stuff America is fighting about kind of comes into those two jobs, I would mm -hmm. argue. Mm -hmm. People take out whatever they're scared of or worried about. Mm -hmm. They kind of, it becomes, and also people also want the contracts and the money at stake. So you become, mm -hmm. a, were you concerned when you became the superintendent three years ago after all that controversy? You were a consensus choice. You were non-controversial. They said, we know Dr. Tracy. We're going to calm down for a little while and have somebody who knows the place run it. Were you concerned at all about the politics? Were you surprised by the politics? 
I'm familiar with the politics. I was familiar with the politics of New Haven after being here for so long. But you can use politics. Politics is not bad if you use it to fight for resources for your system. Mm-hmm. I think the challenge was um, people not people forgetting what the work is all about. People forgetting um, the past and that you can't just do things overnight. That is going to take time to make some changes. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, to be honest with you, Paul, the greatest challenge for me was the ungratefulness that I see coming from all sides. But I didn't let that overtake my path. I, still, I guess that surprised me a little bit. It's yeah. human nature to feel yeah. that way, to want to be respected, to be thanked mm-hmm. for the hard work mm-hmm. you do. Mm-hmm. But you were familiar with New Haven. You know, nobody gets I'm that. I'm familiar with New Haven. It still I feels know back that. as a human being, right? I know that. But that's the human side. Yeah. So, um, but outside of that, I think I have made great impacts and inroads in New Haven, despite the fact, in spite of the fact that I called myself the pandemic superintendent. Because and it was not what I you signed up for. You didn't know. Pandemic starts. And so we have to pivot and do a lot of things that we never knew we could even do. Like what? Like, um, we didn't know that we were able to really um, write grants and get, you know, computers for students two to one, which is... Not what do you mean two to one? You mean you, that we, means students have two, one at school and one at home. Mm-hmm. So we were able to do that, which before we only had computer labs that students were taking to. Now we were able to get those things going. We were able to write and get grants to run other things like um, more, bef- more after-school programs for students. We were able to get monies to implement new programs for our system in science and reading and math. Those things happen. We were able to pivot very quickly to what is called um, hybrid learning, which not even my staff members, we didn't know what that, that was. That was crazy. My daughter's yeah. a public school teacher. Yeah. She said we that was the hardest thing. It was hard. You're looking at the camera with the kid at home. You're trying to have contact. Does it work? Some, it, it helps some students. It helps some students. Most of the majority didn't help them. But some students didn't mind that type of learning. I would imagine those are the students who are, you know, well-capable learners and can handle such situation and change. But for the most part, it didn't help a lot of our students because we had a lot of learning loss that mm-hmm. we had to deal with throughout that time. I would think yeah. it's a, a tough one. I was wishing that mm-hmm. everyone just taking everyone outside. Yeah. I needed some of yeah. that with some of the ESSER money, yeah. the pandemic relief money at Edgewood. Yeah. I was thinking at the time you should just take all the kids outside when the mm-hmm. weather's not terrible and just learn all together, you know, and throw, be, can throw the curriculum yeah. out the window because you have all this testing. Which I wanted to ask you about that. Very, you know, when you started out, it wasn't as strict, correct, about p- living or dying by test scores, having such strict curriculum about what each teacher must teach by a, a program. Has that changed as much as it looks to me from the outside? So, <laughs> Is so it more regimented and generic? Test scores has always been there with us from CMT coming all the way down. So that's, that's not a new change. The only change with this new test is that it's more online, it's more computerized than the pencil, previous pencil paper. So you really don't actually know what the students actually know and don't know, because just to go up for a third grader to manipulate those different icons and things and drag things through I think they are better than it, we are. It, no, but They're I'm saying when, when we started it, if you don't train them, it's mm. not gonna happen. So you still have to train them to do those things. But I think they're getting acclimated to that, and you know, it is it is what it is. I must say. So what they do. you started your life as a teach, wanting to be a teacher at seven years old. Mm-hmm. 
You became a teacher at 16. You mm -hmm. came here with a real belief in education as the great mm -hmm. equalizer. Mm -hmm. Are you leaving with that feeling still? I still believe that. Tell me about I that. I still strongly believe that without proper education in this country, you're not going to go far. And mm -hmm. not just this country. I think it's nationwide. National, you know, oh, not just, I should say international. You're not going to go far without that because that's where the society is built up. They're expecting you to know certain things. They're expecting you to have certain skill sets in order to be successful. So I still believe what without about being an a human education. Being, in addition to being successful monetarily, professionally, what about, you know, at the college level, humanities is on the decline. What about becoming a human being, a functioning member of society yeah. that's changing faster than ever, mm -hmm. knowing how to mm -hmm. think and how to be a citizen and how mm -hmm. to be a human being? What mm -hmm. role does that play in education? So I have said to my staff quite frequently that I am not a person who pushed test scores. I don't because I want to see what else do my students have? What is the overall total development of the students um, ethically, morally, socially, cognitively? Sometimes we spend so much time on the cognitive that we, we forget that those are the aspects of human development is there. So I'd rather see a student who is kind and compassionate um, <laughs> when they leave. Um, because as I say to my staff, when they go out to get a job, no one is going to ask them, what was your test score? No one really cares. But you also have to look at our graduates at the high school level, those who have gotten into college, those who have come back to work with us, those who have been successful in other fields. And it's not about the test scores. It's test score. I have worked with students for 30 years at Southern who did not have good grades or good test scores. And many of them are lawyers and doctors and judges today. So you don't put your all into test scores. You put your all into the whole total development of the student. Mm. So we discussed before, you're not retiring. You're retiring from New Haven. Mm -hmm. You're transitioning. What are you transitioning to do? We talked about your church and some education <laughs> work you're going to do there. So one of, one of the other side of me, as I worked as superintendent of New Haven, or teacher for that matter, I'm an ordained minister. Oh, I didn't know that. And so I, I take that work also seriously, but now I'll be able to spend more time working on that with my husband, working on our schools that we have started What's the name develop. of the school? It's Seventh-day A Remnant um, School of Divinity. A Remnant? A Remnant. A Remnant School yeah. of Divinity. And you can be working on building that. What's your husband's name? Um, Dr. Donovan Tracy. Donald, Donovan Tracy. Well, that sounds like you're still going to be in the mix. I'm still going to be in the mix. So there's a lot of work to be done, and I'm not the person who can ever sit still. And what about any parting <laughs> advice? Do you have parting advice for educators in New Haven as you leave? Parting advice is that for, for them to stay the course, for them to really find out and figure out how students learn, because no program can be a panacea for learning, no program and that they should spend time a lot in making sure professional development occur and that in curriculum instruction and assessment are aligned well for the best service of students. Well, thank you for your close, just about four decades of work in New Haven for raising generations of kids. Thank you. And a job well done. Thank you so much, Paul. Thank you. And Dr. Arlene Tracy, thanks for joining Stateland Heaven. I hope your last week is a great last week. <laughs> yes, okay. <laughs> And we're going to take it out with and thanks to Harry Dross, one of many parents who are happy to have their kids taught by Eileen Tracy. Thank you. We're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic experience performing I Wish I Knew How It Feel to Be Free from the group CD, A Plea for Peace. 
This is Paul Bass inviting you to fly free with us all day and all night long on WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio. Mm-hmm.